0: Uh, let me just uh, get you to look at Ephesians 4 this morning. I want to help you think through some very practical matters as you think about living your Christian life. So we're looking at Ephesians 4. And as you're turning to Ephesians 4, some of you may not know much about the Bible, but Ephesians is a letter, many letters that the Apostle Paul wrote Churches and it was his way of kind of teaching them and instructing them and he's writing this letter to a church in Ephesus and it probably circled around a lot of churches near the the main church that he was writing and this was his way of saying here's what it means to be a Christian and here's how you live the Christian life fairly straightforward right and here's how you avoid wrong doctrines and here's how you uh, push against wrong thinking and living and in the first three chapters of Ephesians, what he does is he talks about this is who God is. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. This is who God is. He's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus has come and done in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, sending of the Spirit, present intercession, his promised return. Here's what he's done. And here are all the wonderful blessings that can be yours if you just embrace them by faith and just say, I need you. Uh, You can experience the forgiveness of your sins, the cleansing of your conscience, you can be made right with God, you can be adopted into his family, you can be a part of his people, all of these wonderful things that Paul talks about. And he goes on at great length to talk about these things. But he gets to a point and he says, now so what? Why does all of this matter? How do you live this out in your life? How does this change you in practical ways? And that's what he's doing in chapter 4. He's starting to apply all the good truths that he's talked about in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at where Paul starts to apply what it means to live out the Christian life. And one of the primary places that Paul focuses our attention is in our relationships. He says, if your faith in Jesus doesn't change the way you relate to other people, then you ought to ask yourself the question, do you really know Jesus? Have you really experienced His grace and His kindness and forgiveness if you're not showing grace and kindness and forgiveness to other people? And I would say starting with the people that are closest to you. If you're married, your spouse. If you're a sibling, your siblings. Right? If you're single, you're friends. Where does this play itself out? And so he's focusing in on our relationships. And what I want to do this morning, I want to do three things. Number one, I want to talk about why Paul thinks our relationships are so important. Why are they important? Number two, what, what character qualities are essential if our relationships are going to grow? your marriage is going to grow, if your relationship with your kids is going to grow, if your relationship with your extended family and co-workers and brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, what character qualities are essential? That's number two. And number three, the final question is how are we going to get the power to grow in those character qualities? Where is the power going to come from? Alright? So let's, uh, let's read the passage. This is Ephesians 4 and here's what Paul says. It's pretty straightforward, very simple teaching. He says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling, the calling that you have received. And that's Paul saying, everything that I talked about in chapters 1, 2, and 3, this calling, this new life in Christ, I want your life now to begin to reflect that new calling in the way that you live out your life in the here and now. Verse 2. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's just Paul's fancy way of saying, really work hard at your friendships. You know, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's, that's code for, you know, roll up your sleeves and work hard at your relationships. And then he goes on to say this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then in verse seven, he begins to talk about the different gifts that we have, our diversity, our unity, and then our diversity. So uh, let's, uh, let's look at this. Why are our relationships so important? Why is Paul saying, work really hard at your relationships? Well, first of all, our relationships are so important is because that's the primary context in which you live out the Christian life. Not only do you live out the Christian life in your physical body as you glorify God by the way that you obey Him and follow His commands and love Him, that's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, but the, the second primary context in which you live out your relationship uh, with Christ is in your relationships with one another. Second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's, that's critical. And it's very, very basic, but uh, it's important to see that. And then he starts to talk about why our relationships with one another are so important. And when Paul talks about the, the, the importance of our relationships and why they're so important, he's pushing against the culture that we live in. You know, why do most of us pursue relationships with other people. Most of the time it's because we want to feel good, right? They can oftentimes have this more self-centered, I want to feel good, I want to have a companion in life, and we tend to focus there. And that's not wrong, that's not bad, but that's not the primary reason you should be moving into relationships. Because if it is, you're probably not going to do a very good job in those relationships. You know, when you make another person the person that needs to provide all your needs, you end up becoming a very destructive person in the relationship. You know why? Because you start hawking everything that person is doing. Are they paying attention to me? Was that thinking about me? Are they caring for me? And you start to kind of watch every action and word and you begin to hawk the person. And then when they don't do it, you might punish them in some kind of way. So when you make another person the main reason that you're pursuing a relationship and what you can get from them, you will actually become the person that actually does destructive things in the relationship. I've I've counseled many marriages where both spouses have made one another their object of finding fulfillment. And it doesn't go anywhere. It only gets worse. And and so Paul is giving us a bigger vision for why we should pursue relationships with other people. And you don't see it in verses 1 through 6. You see it in other verses. Let me just uh, uh, point these out. In verse 12, Paul is saying, I want you to work really hard at your relationships. And then he says this, so that you might be built up. So that you might, in verse 13, reach maturity. Verse 15, so that you might grow up. So that you might be built up. What's Paul saying? The reason you pursue relationships is so that you might grow in grace and become more like Christ. That's the ultimate reason. And if you're pursuing relationships in that kind of way, and your your goal is, how can I by God's grace in this relationship become more and more like Christ. How can this person help me grow in grace? How can I help them grow in grace? When that's happening, guess what? Oftentimes you experience the byproduct and the blessings of enjoyment in those relationships. Because all of a sudden you've taken that person off the hot seat to be everything for you that they were never intended to be. You see that? Now, let me give you an example. Um, when I was uh, newly married, actually right before my wife and I got married, I still remember that, that wonderful day, 27 years ago. Uh, we were uh, in, a, in this big church in Atlanta, Georgia, and there were hundreds of people there, and I was standing at the end of the aisle about where I am today, and... I remember looking down at the end of the aisle and there was my wife with her dad and he was about to walk her down the aisle and I was thinking in my mind and both of us were Christians by the way at this, at this point in our lives I was looking at the end of the aisle and I was thinking this in my mind when I look back on it this is what I was thinking this is awesome this is wonderful what a great day this is I love me and now she's about to walk the, down the aisle and love me right? I love me, and she's about to walk down the aisle and love me. Isn't this a wonderful win-win? You know. And and if my wife were here, she would be honest, and she would say, at some level, she was probably thinking the same thing. And and then what happens? Well, we go through this wonderful ceremony, and uh, now we're off on the honeymoon, and we start arguing one day into our marriage. Well, I don't want to stay at this hotel. Well, I don't want to eat this. I want to go over here. We start arguing, you know, just you know, 24, 48 hours into our marriage, just after we had said our vows to one another and said, I want to love you exclusively, completely for the rest of my life, as long as I'm alive. We're having struggles getting along. Now what's happening? What's happening is I'm beginning to see, oh, maybe it's not so easy to love another person, even if you feel good about them. And I'm thinking... Man, I thought I was a mature Christian. Well, maybe I'm not as mature as I thought I was. Maybe I'm a pretty shallow believer and I have a lot of room to grow. And my wife's probably thinking the same thing. What's happening in the context of our marriage? We're being humbled in the relationship. We're being shown by God through one another how hard it is to love another person, how challenging it is, how how much... Room we have to grow in our, in our faith and our love for Christ so that we can love another person. And I'm talking about my wife, right? I'm not talking about difficult people. I'm not talking about enemies. I'm talking about someone that I really do care for. I'm struggling to be other-centered. You know, see, we're, we're not talking big stuff here, but what's happening? Paul is saying that the reason your relationships are so important, it is within the context of those friendships and those relationships that you see how much you still have yet to grow in grace. And that is a good thing. Because the moment you think you've arrived, you're going to become a very judgmental, self-righteous person, and you're going to start looking down on others. Why can't you love me the way that I love you? Why can't you be like me? Right? And that doesn't do well when you start doing that in relationships. It keeps you humble and you're able to see, I have a a lot of room to grow and it's in the context of this relationship that God is growing us in grace. And I can tell you now, over 27 years of marriage, as my wife and I have worked on our marriage and worked on our relationship and we've been through seasons of difficulty and we've experienced seasons of blessing, we can honestly say, if my wife were here today, we would stand before you and say, we're different people than we were. 27 years ago. We're still struggling. We still have arguments, but there are more positive interactions between us. There are more times where we are giving one another grace. We have seen places where we can tend to be very easily self-centered, where we need to repent, where we need to grow, where we need to ask one another for forgiveness. All of those wonderful kind of things that are part of a growing, maturing relationship. And I'm grateful. I am so grateful. So Paul is saying this, the reason your relationships are so important is because that's where God shows you how much yet you still have to grow as a Christian. Any of you experience that? How many of you are in perfect relationships, no problems, no issues? You know, you're just wondering when that bad relationship is going to show up. Now you, can, you can kind of survey your relationships in your mind right now. There are good ones, great. There are difficult ones. God wants to work in both of those contexts to grow you in grace. Now, look at this second thing. The second thing I want you to see is what are the character qualities that are going to help foster that ability to grow in your relationships? You have to have certain fundamental things at work in your relationships so that they will experience this context where change can happen. And Paul mentions four. Look at them there. humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love. See those? Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love. Now, those are interesting character qualities. I want to talk about the first two particularly, and then just highlight the second two. What is humility? This is humility. This is my definition of humility. Humility is the ability to look at my own sins and weaknesses and faults before I take a look at yours. Right, That's, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Uh, I know what I naturally do. I don't go in that order. But that's what a, a humble person is. A humble person is someone who starts first with their own struggles, their own weaknesses, their own sins and failures that they're bringing into their relationships before they talk to another person about what they might be bringing into the relationship in terms of their sins and weaknesses and faults. When you do that, relationships will flourish. Give you another example from marriage. Uh, when my wife and I are going through um, a bit of a difficult week, maybe we've had. Uh, uh, challenges outside external to us and they begin to impact our ability to relate to one another things are not going well in the relationship we haven't spoken maybe for a few hours or maybe a day you know just things have gone cold a little bit and uh, i've done this early on in my marriage i would say barbara uh, i'd like for you to set aside in your calendar some time for us to sit down for a quite a long time so that i can talk to you about your sins and faults and weaknesses that you're bringing into our marriage that we need to address. Yeah, she doesn't laugh, right? It's humorous for us, but no, she says, what? Are you kidding me? What happens? A wall goes up. But when I do this, I say, Barbara, um, you think you could uh, find about five minutes sometime today where we could talk about uh, some things? I, I'm I'm seeing some sins and weaknesses and Faults and flaws that I'm bringing into our marriage, I think has they've been hurting our relationship over the past several days. Can can we talk about it? Can, just five minutes, just five. She says, "Are you five minutes? Are you kidding? We're going to need five days." Let me let me put on some coffee and we'll sit down and we'll just hash all of this out. All of a sudden, walls come down. And then what I've noticed in my, in my relationships in general, but especially in my marriage, whenever I lead in that way, hey, I, I need to talk to you about some issues that I've been bringing into the relationship, as soon as I start to do that, the person's defenses go down and oftentimes they will say, well, you know, I have to be honest, I've, I've been doing some things too, will you, will you let me talk to you about that and let me tell you about that and ask you for forgiveness. And there's this reconciliation that happens. Humility. Humility. Uh, look at this uh, second uh, word, gentleness. A gentle person, what is a gentle person like? A gentle person actually is a very strong person. You know, the, the old uh, King James translates gentleness as meekness. And many of you, if you grew up in church, you may have heard this, uh, meekness is not weakness. And that's right. Uh, being a gentle person actually is someone who's very, very strong. Here's, here's how I describe a gentle person. A gentle person is someone who has their strengths especially if they're in a place of authority. All of those strengths, that authority, it's bridled by the gospel so that when you use those strengths, they empower people rather than manipulate people. That's what a gentle person is like. See, a very strong person, but those strengths are bridled by the gospel. You know, you put a a piece of steel, a bit in the horse of a mouth, and you can determine the direction of that huge, powerful animal. And the gospel bridles us. It's like a bit in our mouth in a, in a good way. It bridles us and when we use our strengths and when we weigh in, we do so in such a way that it creates in, uh, empowerment in others. Uh, I'll give you an example just from my experience as a father. I remember my uh, young, uh, at, at the time, my oldest daughter who was about 13... Uh, we had a family computer on the side porch, and she would spend all of her time doing instant messaging on AOL. You remember those days, some of you? If you're in your uh, mid 20s, you remember AOL online, and you could do instant messaging, and you could send a message, and I don't remember if it went doodle and you'd get one back Doodle-oon could just get addicted to that sound, right? Oh, somebody's talking to me. Well, she would spend hours on the family porch, on the family computer, doing instant messaging. And, and I would, as a father, you know, yell from the family, Hannah, you need to get off the computer. You've been on it for hours. You've got homework to do. And uh, I would do that you know, three or four times over a half hour. And uh, then eventually I'd, I'd uh, walk to the side porch. And I'd, I'd, you know, she, she would hear me coming onto the side porch. And you could just see her shoulders just start to tighten up. Uh-oh, here comes Dad. He's going to get on to me for being on the computer. Uh, the reason, by the way, I yelled the first three times from the family room rather than getting up is because if I got up, it was too much work and I would lose control of the remote control. So uh, it, it was all about me. Um, I remember one time walking to the side porch and uh, didn't say anything, didn't you know ch- uh, chastise her for being on the computer. I remember I said something encouraging to her. And I said something encouraging, and it was almost as if she almost fell out of her chair, right? And as soon as I saw that, that look of shock on my daughter's face that her her father was encouraging, I said, wait a minute. I said, Houston, we have a problem. There is a problem here. When my daughter is shocked, when her father encourages her, we have a problem. One of the key marks of a gentle person is someone who encourages other people. You know, my daughter should be thinking this. You know, here comes my dad. And whenever he walks through the house, yeah, he, I'm just so sick and tired of him. He, all he does is encourage me. I'm over here and he encourages me about this. And I'm over there and he encourages I am so sick and tired of his encouragement. I wish he would stop it. That really is what my daughter should be thinking, right? She should start to roll her eyes when I say encouraging things to her because that's what she's used to. It's almost boring to her. Well, that never gets boring, does it? You never get bored when people encourage you. When was the last time you were encouraged? Did you feel manipulated? Now, I'm, this is a, there's a difference between flattery and genuine encouragement. When was the last time someone encouraged you? Did you feel manipulated or did you feel empowered? A gentle person is someone who encourages other people. How are you doing? Are you you know how you know how hard it is to encourage another person? Here's what you've got to do to encourage somebody. You gotta stop thinking about yourself. Oh, I just love myself so much, I think about myself all the time. You gotta stop that. Then you've got to kind of venture out and maybe find somebody nearby, and then you've got to start thinking about them. And then you've got to say, I want to think about something positive. And that's hard sometimes, right? And then you've got to go out of your way and you've got to start kind of formulating words and then you have to kind of verbalize them and say, you know, I really am encouraged by how you do X, Y, or Z. Or how I see God at work in your life. But that just takes a tremendous amount of strength to do that. We need to be encouraging people. That's a gentle person. So Paul says if your relationships are going to flourish, humility Take a look at your own sins, faults, weaknesses, before you start pointing them out in others. Gentleness. Err on the side of encouragement. Are you looking for good things in your spouse's life? Or has it tilted over to where all you see is the critical stuff, the stuff you don't like? How can you move that, that dial back and start to see good things and verbalize it in, in, your, in your children, Right? got young children, you got teenagers, all kinds of opportunities for conflict. But are you as a parent moving in the direction of, of finding those things that are encouraging about your kids and you're verbalizing those things to them? I pro- start doing that. I, I challenge you for the next week to start doing that parents with your kids. I, I promise you, you will see change. There will be a tone, and keep it up for weeks and weeks. Continue to do it. Humility, gentleness, and then look at the final two things he says here. Patience and forbearing love. Now, what is patience and forbearing love? I I could nuance these, but here's what it is. It's you being humble and gentle with someone for a really, 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 really long time. Have you ever been patient with someone and gentle with them, and they haven't appreciated it? And you say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore, right? I counsel couples and uh, uh, the spouses come in and one's been angry for 20 years and the other's been at the receiving end of that anger. And we talk about humility and gentleness and the guy goes home. I'm picking on the men now. The guy goes home and for a week he says, you know what? I was humble and gentle for my, uh, with my wife for a, a solid week and she didn't appreciate it. And so I just got mad. Right. No no matter the 20 years that you've been angry, one week, okay, one week, that's that's a start. I'm encouraged. I want to encourage you. How can we stretch that out? How can we begin to see a new track record in your life begin to emerge so that your wife actually believes that you're changing? Uh, Humble and gentle for a really, 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 really long time. Final point, how in the world are people like you and me going to grow in that way? When I look at those character qualities, I actually get a little depressed because I think about my own heart. I'm not naturally humble. I'm naturally proud. I'm not naturally gentle. I'm naturally harsh. And I'm not patient and forbearing in love. I expect you to change and I expect you to change right away. And I expect you to appreciate me when I do nice things for you right away. That's kind of where I go naturally. But by God's grace and by His Spirit working in me, I have seen change. And you can too. And this is, this is what you need to see. Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love are character qualities that you want to see grow in your life. You, you want to see them emerge in your life. And they are they are a picture of how Jesus lives life, right? But before their character qualities, they're actually a picture of Jesus Himself and how He relates to you and me. You see that? You're not going to grow in humility and gentleness and patience and forbearing love until you really begin to bathe in the reality that Jesus humbled Himself and gave Himself for you. That He used all of the power that, it, that was at His disposal as the second person of the Godhead and He clung to the cross so that He might commend you to the Father rather than judge and condemn you. And then He is patient and gentle with you day in and day out, moment by moment by moment. Step back for a moment in this worship service and just reflect on that. Just think about it. This is Jesus' treatment of me. I don't deserve it. He's humble. He's gentle. He's patient. He's forbearing in love. Let that begin to catch fire in your heart. Maybe it's just a little ember right now. Maybe it started to die out. Let it come back to life. Stoke that fire throughout the week. And then ask God to help you to begin to model the life of Jesus that has been displayed to you, to other people. And I would encourage you start with the people that are closest to you. Those are gonna be the more, most challenging, right? It's easy to love people in a whole other country. I love all of you, but I've never met you and I'm leaving in a few days, <laughs> right? You've gotta love the people closest to you. Uh, I don't know where your relationships are. I would imagine a room this size Uh, I've experienced challenges throughout my life. Your relationships are in all kinds of places. Let me pray for you as we close and just ask God to give you wisdom and grace as you wrestle with this wonderful teaching. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, And we, we know that Some of our greatest joys have been experienced in the context of relationships, but some of our greatest hurts and sorrows as well. And I pray that you would bring comfort to people in this room who are hurting due to the state of a relationship that they might be in. Uh, An extended family member, a sibling, a spouse, a child, would you give them grace? Even in that context, would you enable them and help them to see your loving kindness and mercies for them and begin to give them the strength to move forward into those relationships in new and surprising ways. And, Father, for all of us, would you remind us of uh, your kindness and mercy and let that be on display even at the end of this service as we greet one another, as we talk to one another, as we move out into this community. We pray for your transforming grace uh, to work in us in such a way that it spills over into the lives of others and blesses them. This is our prayer. We come to you as weak children. Would you work this in us for Jesus' sake? Amen.